everyone. Uh, it's been a while since I've stood up here in front of you guys. So I'll admit to feeling a little bit emotional this morning. Uh, it's been a couple of years and most of you know what's happened in our lives during that time. So we've taken a step back and I want to just acknowledge you guys and say thank you for giving us that time to rest and heal. Uh, it's it's been wonderful for us, uh, all your support. So thank you for that. And fittingly this morning, we're talking about God's gift of rest. And some of that's coming from Leviticus, as John mentioned. Let me uh, release the team before I go too far. Rest is uh, something that can be pretty hard to come by. You know, you just look at the news at the moment. And it's nothing new, really. You know, this, the things that are happening now have always happened. We've got unrest in Europe with the war over there. It's political season, as John mentioned, so politicians are at each other's throat and everyone feels a bit more restless when it's this time of, time of the season. One thing that we've learned from the pandemic that we've seen up close and personal is that you can be idle and not be at rest. We've had people being idle. We've had whole communities, whole countries being idle, just locked away and nobody's doing anything at all. And yet the overwhelming sense that I've gotten, and I don't know if you're the same, is that people haven't felt at rest. They've felt the opposite, in fact. They felt extremely restless and anxious. But I've got good news this morning. God does care deeply about our ability to rest. So what is true rest? How do we find it? Why is it sometimes feel so elusive for us to find real rest in life? Let me read from Luke chapter 13. This is an incident in the life of Jesus. On a Sabbath, starting at verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who'd been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work. Come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. So Jesus sees this woman in the synagogue service, you know, much like this kind of thing. This is the modern day analogy. And he heals her and the synagogue leader really doesn't like it. Interestingly, he doesn't actually say anything to Jesus or to the woman herself. He just addresses the crowd he says to the people, there are six days for work, come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. It's like when some, you know, someone does something wrong at work and the boss sends an email to everybody. It's like, can everybody please remember to fill up the photocopier with paper when you're finished? And everyone's reading it thinking, oh, Jim, he's done it again. And Jim's reading it thinking, I don't think that applies to me. <laughs> but this synagogue leader has a really negative reaction to what Jesus has just done, something that you would think would be positive. And Jesus has a response for him. And we're going to come back to this story in a few minutes because there's a lot that we can learn about rest from this story. 
But before we do that, it's helpful to get some context about why the synagogue leader is actually reacting like this. So let's go back. Let's go back about a thousand years. God has just brought the Israelites out of Egypt. He's rescued them and he's giving them instructions for how to live together as a society that represents him here on earth. And this is one of the things he says to them in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. This is one of many, many instructions that God gives to his people. And if you've been following along with the Bible reading that we've been doing, that's basically all you've been reading lately, is you know, through Exodus and Leviticus and even into Numbers, it's just all a whole lot of instructions that God's giving to his people. But this isn't just an add-on, you know, one of these sort of random ones that seems to come from nowhere. This is in the top ten. This is the Ten Commandments here in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And actually this command about the Sabbath, in, in terms of the Ten Commandments, it's actually before things like do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery. It seems like God is really serious about wanting his people to incorporate this rhythm of rest into their lives. In fact, he's so serious about it that it doesn't actually stop there. It doesn't stop with a day of rest every seven days. We go on and read in Leviticus chapter 25 about another instruction God gives his people, which is that every seven years you have to let the land rest. Even the land gets to rest. Every seven years, no planting and this is a culture where pretty much everyone is farmers right so no planting no pruning you have to just sort of let the land go on autopilot you can eat some things if they happen to grow there which a few things probably do but you can't do any work you know translate this to sort of a modern uh our modern culture something that we're more familiar with if you're running a business imagine every seven years you have to just let the business run on autopilot no new investments no new customers, Dave's raising his eyebrows, <laughs> no new projects, you just sort of let it go. That's radical, right? that, is, that is so radical. But it doesn't even stop there. Every seven times seven years, the Israelites have to have what they call a jubilee year. It's like a super Sabbath where not only do they do no work on that day, on that year I mean, they have to let the land rest. But also, if you've sold your house or your land in the past 50 years, since the last Super Sabbath year, you get it back again now. If you've had to sell yourself into slavery, which is sort of a common practice back then, if you got in yourself into financial trouble, maybe one of the only ways you could get out of it was by becoming a servant to someone else and working off your debt by doing that. If you had found yourself in that position, 
you're free now on that super Sabbath year. It's a year of rest, but also restoration. And so we see this theme building here through all God's instructions about rest. God is seriously committed to his people getting this into their minds and into their hearts that rest is an important part of what God wants for his people, of the purpose that God has for his people. But this all raises a question in my mind. Why does God need to command his people to rest? Isn't rest something that we want to do anyway? I mean, all we talk about is wanting to rest, right? I can't wait until the end of the day so I can go home and put my feet up and have a glass of wine. can't wait for the weekend when I can finally get some rest. I'm so looking forward to my next holiday when I can get some rest. It's all we talk about sometimes is wanting rest. So why does God have to command his people to rest? Isn't it something we want to do? Why is it that we find it so hard, despite saying that we want to rest, why is it that we find it so hard to actually rest? The Bible paints a picture for us in the first few pages of what the core issue is here. Why is it that we find rest so elusive? God creates the world, a beautiful world, and he puts humans in it, and he gives them a job. You're going to rule over this world with me, and I want you to go and be fruitful and multiply, spread out, expand the human race, and all of you together are going to rule with me over this creation. And the land is going to bring up food for you, there's fruit trees everywhere. It's, it's work, but it's not a kind of toil, you know, it's uh, a joyful work. But we turn over the page and we see in Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the picture. And from then on, rest is much harder to come by. And God tells the human beings, this is what's going to be the consequence of sin now entering the picture. For one thing, the earth is not going to cooperate with you anymore in bringing forth food. You're going to have to work really hard now to get food out of the ground. And this whole thing about being fruitful and multiplying, that's going to be a lot more hard work now too. Relationships between men and women are going to be harder. It's all going to be harder, basically, now because of sin. And rest is going to be something that you're not going to find easy. And we see this around us in the world. The presence of sin in the world affects our ability to rest in a thousand different ways. Sometimes it's a result of other people's sin. The boss who exploits his workers so that he can make more for himself and accumulate more for himself. The president who invades another country so that he can expand his own empire. Not naming any names. The child who lives in fear of an abusive parent. When sin gets its hooks into the people around us, it can prevent us from resting. That's something that happens really commonly in our world, and I'm sure everyone here has experienced that. Sometimes it's a result of our own sin. 
the greed that makes us want more and more and work ourselves to exhaustion just trying to accumulate for ourselves. Or the unforgiveness that just churns around in our minds. We lay awake at night thinking about that person who did that thing wrong to me and it's churning around in our guts as well and we're thinking if I see them I'm going to say this and then they're going to say this and then I'm going to say this and that's going to really put them in their place and it just goes round and round and round in our minds and it prevents us from resting. Or the pride that makes us think that if we stop working even for a moment everything's just going to fall apart. I don't know if you guys know this about me, I'm actually holding up the whole of our society, right? If I stop working even for a moment, it's all going to fall apart. So I can't stop. I can't stop. That's pride. That's called a God complex, I think. Sin gets its hooks into us and prevents us from resting as well. This is why God commands his people to rest because left to our own devices, we neither find rest ourselves nor allow others to rest. But also sometimes it's not any individual's person's sin that prevents us from finding rest. Sometimes it's just the fact that the power of sin is at work in the world and we are living in a world that's been corrupted by sin and is still corrupted by sin. That fact just makes it difficult for us to rest because with sin comes a whole lot of other things like sickness and death and these things can take hold of us and prevent us from resting as well. If you're living with a chronic illness or a disability, it's much harder to find rest. Everything is harder. Daily life is harder. If you're living with a mental illness, it's much harder to find rest. If you're living with pain in your body every day, it's very hard to find rest. No matter what you do, there's, there's no rest. You're always, always struggling with that. Which brings us back to the crippled woman that Jesus encountered in Luke. Let me read that story again. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues and a woman was there who'd been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. And the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? It's important to realise here what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying, ah, Sabbath schmabbath, don't worry about that. That doesn't matter anymore. Should we, we can bend the rules. Come on, you guys bend the rules for your ox or your donkey if they need water. Come on, I can bend the rules for this woman, surely. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying that by denying this woman healing on the Sabbath, by denying her rest, you're actually breaking God's Sabbath law. What did we read in Deuteronomy before? The seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox or your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. When they're giving their ox or their donkey some water on the Sabbath day, that's actually something that's in keeping with the Sabbath law. An animal that is starving or dehydrated is not at rest. And likewise, this woman who comes to Jesus, she's bent over double, she can't straighten up, she hasn't been able to for 18 years. She's not been at rest for 18 years. Think how many Sabbath days have passed in those 18 years when she has not been able to rest. And no matter how much people around her tell her, you need to rest on the Sabbath, she can't rest. The idea that she should be denied rest because it's the Sabbath is completely at odds with God's law. The problem here is not that the synagogue leader was reading his Bible too closely. It's that he wasn't reading it closely enough. And Jesus says, resting myself at the expense of somebody else, at the expense of their rest, that's not what God's law of rest is all about. Jesus says, I'm not going to prioritize my own rest over the rest of my neighbor who's in front of me. If I can do something to help her rest, I'm going to do it because that is what the Sabbath is all about. But, of course, the rest that he brings to this woman, and it is, I mean, I can't imagine the, it, the joy. It doesn't talk about it in the story here, but just the joy. It says she began to praise God. She must have been absolutely ecstatic. 18 years is a long time. I know we've got people here in our congregation who's, who've had illnesses for a long time. If you were healed, I imagine the, the joy would just be overflowing out of you. It's such an amazing thing. But the rest that Jesus brings to her here by healing her, it is still just a temporary rest. She is still, despite being healed of this particular illness, she is still living in a world that's corrupted by sin. She still is going to have to deal with her own sin and with the sin of others. And she's going to get sick again. She's going to die because she's still living in a world that is at unrest. What we ultimately need is for God to deal not just with the symptoms of this unrest, but with the root cause of the problem itself, with the power of sin at work in the world. And that is what the coming of Jesus was all about. This is what he was here to do. God entered into our unrest in order to bring us rest. He identified with our restlessness in order to bring us rest. And as we see Jesus hanging on the cross, and he's accomplishing this victory over sin on our behalf, and as he's hanging there, he prays a psalm, which he would have known very well, he would have grown up reciting all the psalms, and he prays Psalm 22. Let me read the first few lines of that psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. God himself entered into our unrest, experienced that for himself, just like we do. 
He experienced the same unrest that we do every day in order to deal with the root cause of our unrest, which is sin, and overcome that, defeat it on the cross through his death and through his resurrection. He has defeated the power of sin and all the symptoms that come of that, one of which is this lack of ability to find rest. And he offers us an invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of this theme of rest that God was trying to drum into his people over and over again, really just trying to get it into their heads and their hearts, it's all been pointing forward to a person, not, not a rule to follow, a person. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. One day, God will make all things new and we will be at perfect rest with Jesus. But until then, just like this woman that Jesus healed, we're still living in a world that is affected by sin. We're affected by our own sin, by the sin of others, by the consequences of sin in our world. But what God invites us to as a community is to live in this rest now. As we pray every day, may your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. We invite his rest to come and make its home in us. And the spirit of God that was at work in Jesus, that same spirit is at work in us, producing that rest. And this is what God calls us to, to be a community of rest in a world that is at unrest and to offer that invitation to people that Jesus offers. Come, all you who are weary and burdened and find the source of true rest. Rest from sickness and grief, rest from guilt and shame, rest from violence and oppression. This is the community of rest that God calls us to be. This is who we are, this is our identity as a community here, and as a, as a church overall, across the nation, across the world, this is who we are. And God calls us to continually offer that same invitation to each other here, and also to people outside these walls. A community that trusts God, and a community that welcomes others to come and trust Him too, to come and rest in Him too. Let me ask the team to come back up. So you might be experiencing this unrest that I'm talking about right now for any one of a thousand different reasons. And if you are, the reason that we come here, you know, every Sunday we meet regularly together is so that we can have an encounter with the Spirit that, is at, that was at work in Jesus, that is at work in our midst now. Don't leave here this morning without having an encounter with the Spirit so that He can bring you rest. Because that thing, whatever it is, we don't have the solution to your problems. I don't know how to solve your problems. But God's Spirit can bring you rest. That's what I do know. I can tell you from my own personal experience, the darkest times I've been through in my life, I have found that God can bring rest. And you will too. You will too. 
So we're going to go into another song, but let me invite anyone here who needs to have an encounter with the Spirit this morning. Come forward afterwards. And we'll pray. We'll pray together that God's rest will come and find its home in you, that you can enter into that rest. And that can be something that you take with you, like a little pocket of rest that you, you're walking around in a world of unrest. It's not going to make everything better, but you're going to be this little pocket of rest that offers that invitation to others, people who come into contact with you. They're going to see there's something different about this person because they're at rest. No, even though there's things going on in their world that aren't right, somehow they are at rest and somehow they belong to this community that is at rest despite all of the things going on in the world. How is that possible? And that invitation is open. It's always open to everybody. And if you're here this morning or watching online and you've never encountered this spirit that I'm talking about who can bring you rest, this morning is the morning to enter into that, to accept that invitation. If that's you, come forward afterwards. Make contact with the pastors during the week. Don't refuse that invitation because you will never find rest anywhere but in Jesus Christ. Let's sing.